Thank you for tuning in to this edition of Kingsway Podcast from Pastor Sean. You are about to hear a message from a recent Sunday service. We consider it a privilege to be on a spiritual journey with you. So take a few moments with us and allow God to inspire you today. week we started the series you didn't know it was a series I kind of snuck it in there I wanted to talk to you about uh, Thanksgiving and work into you the whole thing around tribulation what we were doing and then talk to you about this verse here this verse was the name of the message last week which was where are you if you weren't here last week where were you and it was where are you going to be on Thanksgiving and this this verse really it comes from Genesis where God is calling out to Adam and Eve and saying where are you Where are you today? Where are you on your spiritual journey? Are you just beginning? Are you close towards the end? Are you in the middle? Are you lost? Maybe, perhaps, you haven't started yet. Where are you in your journey? And the point of the message last week was, what would it take for the Lord to get your attention? What does he have to do? We talked about judgment. We talked about miracles. We talked about his presence. The Lord God is literally walking with them and can't get their attention. They ran away and they hid. This message was about how each one of us have come to know the Lord. We came to know the Lord maybe through judgment or miracles or the presence of God. But ultimately, all of that was wrapped up in somebody giving us the gospel. Somebody preached the gospel, read us the gospel, taught us the gospel, shared the gospel. And it effectively started our spiritual journey. It allowed us to get in the game. Now, when I say it like that, you say, well, a spiritual journey, a spiritual walk, it's not a game. This is serious matters. Yeah. The spiritual plane we've entered once we figure out where are you. Today, I'm asking you the next question. Today, the question is, what are you doing here? So if you entered the spiritual journey... You're following the Lord. What are you doing here? Jared, so eloquently, you you did it really well. You made some really great intonations when you were reading that I want to point out as I get through it. But he says twice in this scripture to Elijah, what are you doing here? He said it to a man of God, and not just any man of God. This is Elijah. For those of you who aren't well read in the Bible or haven't studied it cover to cover, he's like one of two men. Only two who so captivated the Lord's attention, so dearly followed the Lord, that he literally didn't die. At least not yet. One of the oldest living people in the the Bible, and then when his time came to an end, the Lord says, call them up into heaven. Him and Enoch, two people. Not even David or Solomon or Moses, or Joshua, that happened. This is a special man. And God said to this man, what are you doing here? I want that to settle in for a second. It's meant to be a deep, existential question. What is your purpose? Well, I'm here because I want to worship the Lord today. I want to sing good songs. I want to pray. I I want to hear the word of God. Okay. Maybe that's why you're here today. But in the the spiritual place you're at in your journey, wherever you are, what are you doing there? Because most of us, and if you're anything like me, and you may not be, but if you're anything like me, most of us in our spiritual journeys, we kind of hang out in a place. We get somewhere, really excited about getting there, planning it, praying for it. We arrive, 
and then we arrive. It's like we've kind of planted ourselves in this place. God does not want you to arrive, church. There is nowhere here on earth for you to arrive. God's plan for you far extends the earth. Amen? So, so we're not supposed to arrive. So the question is to you today, right now, what are you doing here? And, and I can even ask that even, even more practically. I mean, think about it. Honestly, I want you to assess. What are you doing here at Kingsway today? Right now, today, what are you doing here? Are you, doing, are you here because every Sunday you get up and go to church? By the way, I applaud you if you do. Apparently, half our church doesn't do that. So I applaud those who do make it out on church on Sunday. That's a commitment. But is that why you're here? Are you here maybe because you're expecting God to get your attention? Maybe you want him to do something. He's going to spread some pixie dust and you're going to see it. I don't know. Maybe you're here because you have no clue what that crazy pastor is going to say and you want to see it live and in action. I don't know. You may be here for so many reasons. Maybe, let me be more serious. Maybe you're not feeling well. Maybe you're sick. In body, in mind, in spirit. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a sin that you won't share anybody with and you hope, you just hope, if I go to church, God will help me. Or maybe it's in your finances or in your job situation, or in your home life situation, or in your marriage, you just know something's not right, and you've tried some things, you know they didn't work, and you know, because somebody has told you, that if you go to church, if you worship God, if you bow before him, that he may somehow help you. Do you believe that? Why are you here today? So, this verse was in Genesis 3.8. That's where we started last week. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife, that's Adam and Eve, heard the Lord walking about the garden. They came to the garden to be with God. God came to the garden to be with them. Let me tell you something. God wants to spend time with you. This is not about me trying to tell you to spend time with him. God wants to spend time with you, and he is God. He can do anything, and he chooses to want to spend time with you. What's preventing that? Even here, now, today, right this moment, you're here. What's preventing that? There's something real. I want to talk about it today. Because in this case, look what happens. God wants to spend time with them, and, and, and they ran from him. They hid from him. They went into the woods. They went into the woods and covered themselves up with fig leaves. Like they're hiding from the all-knowing, all-seeing, all-powerful God. Isn't that silly? Last message, you know, it was upbeat. It was encouraging. It was meant to be that. I shared some life stories with you. I'm giving you a disclaimer today. This message, not so much. This message is the other side of that coin. It's December, right? And as I looked at my preaching schedule... December, it says, like on every December calendar that I have for the last three years, it says, preach about Jesus. I mean, it's December. Jesus is born. Christmas. Everyone's here about Jesus. Jesus is the reason. Okay, preach all those sermons. By the way, I've preached a lot of those sermons in the past. But it occurred to me this year, a number of things have happened in 2019, some of which you may be aware of and some you haven't. And it's also occurred to me that most of our church, when I look around, at least in the last couple months, are the same people. There's a few visitors here and there, but it's the same people. And most of you, I know you all. 
and I know you've given your heart to the Lord. So for me to come in and preach the gospel message yet again to a bunch of people who know the gospel message, have heard the gospel message, and probably, I'm not trying to offend anybody, won't share that same message with somebody the next day, I wonder how much fruit it is to just talk about Jesus and his birth yet once again. Now, we'll do it. We have all month to do it. So we have a Sunday scheduled to do that where we can invite friends and family and they can hear the gospel message. But today, you guys are Christians. You're the real deal. You're the one that's trying to get through every single day and spend time with God. But you and I both know what happens. The real Christians, the ones who've been living it time and time, day and day, month and month, you know what happens. You walk around in the garden and there's somebody else walking there. And it's not just God, is it? 1 Peter 5.8 says, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion. I don't know, I, I wouldn't want to be near that thing. You know, it blows my mind, these people I read about in my, uh, you know, news feeds who go to the zoo and they climb over the fence and they get close to the caged animals? Who would do that? I don't know. People do. And they want to get selfies, I guess. How, I, this is about as close to that thing I want to get to. That thing will tear you up. You watch these circus things, and occasionally a bear or a lion or something is eating somebody. Just, it went, it got irritable. Went native on them. A roaring lion. It says, the devil is roaming, prowling like a roaring lion. Ah, oh, it's just like the zoo, Pastor Sean, that's it. Really? What's the end of this verse say? Let's read it. Oh yeah, it's looking for someone to devour. That means eat, Jeremy. In other words, the devil is trying to eat you. He's trying to destroy you. He's trying to gobble you up. So as much as you walk around that garden and think, hey, some of these days, some of these hours, some of these minutes, I'm going to spend with God and we'll praise and worship. When I'm not spending that time with God, when I'm running around the woods trying to cover myself up with fig leaves because of the bad things I did, guess what else is in that woods? That. And it's trying to eat you. Now, we know this. Anyone who's been a Christian for any amount of time past your honeymoon period, you know, where you're on fire and no amount of water will cool you off, you're just so on fire, after that period, you realize the enemy's after me. Now, there are three enemies that the Bible talks about. And you know, the devil is the least of your concern, actually. The other two usually inflict much more damage. But the devil is the one we need to be alert about. The devil is the one who's got big and bad plans. And the devil is the one who orchestrates the other two enemies to work against you. So that's why we're focused on the devil. You know, church, in that sense, can be a dangerous place. If you were a devil and you wanted to go get Christians, where would you go? To the gathering of Christians. Now, would you go to the gathering of Christians who could care less about Jesus, don't read the Bible, don't preach about Jesus, don't see any miracles, and don't worship? There are plenty of those churches. The devil usually don't hang out there very long. But if there's a church who has a purpose, who has a ministry, who has missions, who has prayer, who has power, who has the presence, and maybe not all the time, but even sometime, if those things exist in a body, well, the enemy's coming. 
Do you recognize that? Let me say it differently. Today even, perhaps, I don't know about you, but today it felt a little different in service. It's not just the number of people or the songs we sing or the fact that, you know, Mark's not on the stage or Miss Debbie's in the hospital, whatever else you know or don't know about what's going on at church. But there are days this year, and there's been many of them actually, that I have felt it, that it just feels different. It's almost like I'm singing the song Waymaker. I just can't see it. I just can't feel it. I mean, I know you're there, God. I know, and I'm going to preach. I don't see it. I don't feel it, but I know that you're there. There's something going on, church, in each one of your lives. I'll talk more about what's going on in us as as a church as a whole. But the reality is, is there's more than meets the eye. There's more going on in your spiritual walk than what you see and what you hear. And that's what's important today. We're a church. We call it the three W's. The word, the worship, and this thing where you raise your hands and you begin to pray, we call it the warfare. In fact, we have a war room designed just to help you participate in the warfare. Corporately, much as Jarrett was doing when he came up to pray for us, or Sarah or Amber, they enter into spiritual warfare. Let me state it differently. Satan ain't scared of a group of people getting together having a good time. That's called fellowship. Church needs that. Satan doesn't bother him too much. What he's scared of is that same group of people in one heart, one mind accord in the word in the worship and engaging in warfare. The moment we get together and begin to pray in Jesus' name, we got his attention. Are you following me? The Bible calls this spiritual warfare. When the journey begins and you give your heart to Christ and you begin to pursue the word, pursue the worship, you will inevitably pursue the warfare. Spiritual warfare is what's taking place all around us, but often is unseen. Now, let me be very clear with this. Much of which happens to you physically, mentally, emotionally, is not just subject to your environment or your circumstances. It's, you interpret it through those lenses. But much of that is being orchestrated in the spiritual realms. Nothing can happen outside of God's sovereignty, not gravity, not the breath of life in your body. Which means that God is control of all things, so all things, in effect, are spiritual. God knows that, and he uses the earthly things, the physical things, the cardinal things, to explain the spiritual things, like planting seed and rain and all of those things. But at the end of the day, church, we are in the middle of a war. We are in a battle. The battle ends in tribulation, which was by Bill was teaching all about that. Spiritual warfare, a tribulation, an area where we literally go to battle with the enemy. You know who wins? Jesus. And by extension, all of us. But that does not dismiss the fact that until that day, we are in warfare up till that day. Every book of the Bible talks about different warfares. How Jacob wrestled with the angel. You remember that, right? How Moses escapes through the Red Sea. How Joshua escapes Uh, through the Jordan. Over and over again, we see warfare in the Bible. Elijah, Elijah, right before this story that Jared read, was one of my favorite stories, Elijah 18. It's the story where he enters into this land, 
and there are a bunch of worshipers of Baal. And they believe that they are worshiping the one true God. And the king and the queen Jezebel are getting all of their advice from this people group. And so Elijah comes in with the word of God and tells them they are wrong, they need to follow God, and there's a famine in the land, and the famine will never go away until they worship the king of kings and the lord of lords. They say, I'm trying to think of a Bible word, but they say, poppycock, I don't believe you. Okay, he says, let's state a contest. They have a contest, you know this, they set up two altars, right, and they water it down, put a moat around it, you know, the whole nine yards. The one group can't get the fire to come down from heaven. Then Elijah gets up, he says a prayer, boom, the altar's on fire, and they all bow down. And why they all bow down, then Elijah, if you don't recall, at the end of 18, he go kills them all. Some theologians believe he, like, chopped them all up into, like, little bits. And then he prays for rain. They say, there's no rain coming. He prays for rain. He says, look out. There's no rain coming. He says, look out. Eventually, seven times, he prays for rain, and the rain starts coming. And Elijah, as I've talked about before, Pastor Chris runs a marathon to beat the rain as Ahab goes back and tells, Ahab is one of his servants, goes back and tells Jezebel what happened. That's how we enter this story. Spiritual warfare. Literally fighting against other gods. What does the Bible have to say about that? It says a lot, in fact. Ephesians 6, verse 12 says, quote, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood. Church, you are not fighting against your spouse or your child or your coworker or your supervisor or your manager or a government official. You do not fight against flesh and blood. You fight against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in heavenly places. This is in your Bible. And it's not the Old Testament. This is right square in the New Testament. This sounds spooky. This sounds crazy. If somebody came to me with this verse when I was a kid, I would say, I want nothing to do with this Bible. Like, that's crazy. I don't believe this. Now I'm a Christian. I'm a pastor. I absolutely believe it. Do you? Do you believe that when things don't go your way at the bank or with a mortgage or with a job interview or with your children or at school or with the doctor, that those things aren't just simply a product of those people and what they believe, but there are powers at work, influences at work, Mighty powers in a dark world, evil spirits in heavenly places. Does this mean that everything that happens, everything is controlled by the enemy? No, because the enemy nor God controls you implicitly. They do not. You have free will. But there are influences happening and taking place every day, all day. Are you with me? Okay, so the point I want to establish today is this. I went back and I started studying in Scripture, and I read a lot about warfare in the Old Testament— I saw it again in the New Testament. We talk about things like prayer warriors. We even say something like this. You need to put on the armor of God. Okay? So there's a lot of talk about military terms and warfare and fighting in the Bible. Perhaps that has something to do with the way you feel today. I mean, right now, this moment. 
Maybe you know you're in a battle and you've been fighting it over and over and over again and you haven't won. Maybe you're in a battle and you don't know you're in the battle. Maybe you're in a battle and you're not fighting it the right way. But here's what I know for sure. When I look through Scripture, the entire structure of the church, the entire instruction of Jesus Christ was set up like a military organization. You know, there are generals in a military, right? Well, the Bible talks about how the church should have bishops overseeing. And then there are, you know, colonels and captains in a military. Well, those are the pastors guiding the flock, telling them what to do. There's the front line that the pastors are overseeing, the front line that the colonels are overseeing. The front line is you. That's the church going out into this world and fighting the good fight. You know, there's things like snipers, specialty people in the army that go and take up one person. Who's that? That's the evangelist who goes and, and, and you begin to use your apologetics as weaponry to go talk to one another about Jesus Christ in a one-on-one fashion. On and on and on in the church, in the Bible, it talks about structuring your church like an army. We rise up an army, the Bible says. Now, before I continue, don't think for a second, I'm going to get to the end of this, and I'm going to say we need to be, you know, radical, violent people and pick up arms and go shoot people outside. That's not what I'm talking about. Not at all. I'm talking about a spiritual warfare that cannot be fought with guns or arms or weaponry of this world. In fact, I went and I studied the word apostle, which means messenger, to bring forth a message. Jesus used it. Before Jesus, the word is Greek, it was used as an emissary, you know, somebody who brought forth a message to a territory. And it is said that it was used as far back as Alexander the Great, who used it as part of his special forces. So Alexander the Great had to go in, and you know, he, he manifest destiny, he took over the world, he took over that territory, and that territory, and that territory. Well, he sent this special forces group in ahead of them, and they went and, and figured out the area, and they basically took out the power center of that area. And those people, they had a very special Greek name that was derived from the word apostle. Meaning apostle is to go into an area and take over that territory. Think about that for a second. Everything in the Bible around the structure of a church is meant to be militant. So I bring you to this point. What does a military do? Here's a picture of a military. This is, I don't know what branch it is. Maybe somebody here is more attuned to that, can tell me. But this is a bunch of um, servicemen and women and warfighters in a giant room standing over a giant 3D map where they are planning a mission. They're planning a mission. The mission probably had something to do with the enemy threatening them. And so they are putting together a mission to take out the enemy. What is the number one most important goal of a, a setting like this and an agenda and activity like this. There's one goal and one goal only. Watch any war movie, any military movie, and you have the same message. It is, under any circumstances whatsoever, even if you're the last one, complete the mission. So church, if we are part of a militant agenda against the enemy, then that means we're all on a mission. And if we're all on a mission, that means each one of you has an assignment, an assignment that God is calling you to as the grand admiral over all of it. 
Satan's agenda is to stop your assignment. Even this morning, as you listen to this message, your thoughts are going through your head. What does this mean? What does this mean to me? How can I take from this? Uh, this doesn't apply to me. This doesn't affect me. This doesn't influence me. Let me say it this way. Please hear this. There are two groups of Christians. There are two groups of Christians that I have come in contact with my entire life. There is one group of Christians who are actively in ministry. They are ministering in some way, shape, or form. Actively meaning that they are doing it on a regular basis. Maybe it's front and center. Maybe it's behind the scenes. Maybe it's delivering the gospel like face-to-face, -face, and maybe it's helping somebody do that. But they are ministering in some way that they can be recognized as they are in ministry. That is one group. And the other group is a group that's supposed to be ministering. They just aren't. And there are a lot of excuses for the other group. My ministries got taken away. I'm too tired. My work, blah, 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 blah. There are a lot of ways. I'm not prepared. I'm not qualified, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If I waited till I was qualified to preach, I'd have to wait another 10 years before I could stand up here before you. Is it okay that I still preach? I got to start somewhere. There are two groups of people. Which group are you in? You are on assignment. You have an assignment from God himself to be on a mission to help take out the enemy. Are you doing your part or is the enemy, is the enemy stopping your assignment? Look, it is tough. My life, I am under attack. I'll admit it. This year has been a difficult year for me. Not one where it's so obvious, like I have a bodily sickness or, um, you know, I'm so stressed out that I don't know what to do um, or I feel like I'm burnt out and want to quit. It's not like that. It's been just a continual and constant barrage of the enemy. This technique, that technique, that technique, that technique. If one doesn't work, he tries another one over and over and over and over and over. And it's been weighing on me. And as I've been ministering to the leaders of Kingsway, I've been noticing that most of them are under attack and have been for almost all year. Now, we don't share everyone's secrets up at the pulpit. But you know, Miss Debbie right now is literally having a spiritual attack. The doctors can't find anything. Maybe they will. I don't know. But my guess is it's another spiritual attack manifesting in her body. But when I go across our leadership team, I can tell you that each one has been in an attack this year. And for those leaders who haven't shared with me, I bet you know what I'm talking about. And maybe you haven't yet shared it with me. And for all the leaders who are not here today, and I'm talking to them streaming, you better listen to this message because I'm going to make you listen to this message in order for you to continue to be a leader at Kingsway Christian Center. Because our church leadership as a whole is under attack. And isn't it crazy how many attacks happen on Sunday? I'm not feeling well. Like the worst I felt all week on Sunday, can't go to church. My car broke down on Sunday, can't go to church. My house is having an issue on Sunday, I can't go to church. My dog is having an issue, I can't go to church. I mean, it's like the devil loves Sunday. He pulls out all the stops. It's raining, cold. My point is, it's all working together. His plan, Satan's plan. And I believe most of it has been misidentified. Misidentified. That means we're going through life 
and we're putting our energy at the wrong thing. We think we're fighting this person or that person, and we continue to fight that, and we make no grounds. A lot of this happens with doctors. Myself, my wife included, we've had bodily issues and, and physical issues. We've gone to doctors. We've spent thousands of dollars and months of our time seeking for answers to which there were none because we misidentified it. What happens if you misidentify the target in a military mission? What? That's not good. You better know exactly who you're taking down in a military mission. What happens if you misidentify diagnosis in your body and you start surgery? That's not good. Don't take that out. I need that. Oops. What happens if you misidentify your identity and somebody thinks you're somebody else? Steals all your money. Happened to me a lot. Um, what, what about if they misidentify you as a criminal and arrest you? It happens a lot. What about if they misidentify you online and somebody says a really aggravated tweet and somebody associates it with you? Uh-oh. Poison ivy. You can touch certain ivy but not poison ivy. You better identify that correctly. Here's my point. It is so easy to misidentify what's going on in our lives as a spiritual attack and attribute it to something else and therefore go about solving the problem with some other means and not using a spiritual defense. A tree can bear good fruit. You cut that tree down and you go and you have Eddie and Bill move that dead tree over to another part of our property and somebody else comes up to that tree the next day, the next day after that, they go, that's a good tree, it's bearing fruit. I like that tree that's been misidentified. That tree's been cut down. In a week, it'll be dead. But you're over there thinking that's a good tree. How do you know? It don't have roots. It's been cut down. Why well, didn't notice that? There's probably a lot you didn't notice going on in your life. This message is the beginning of a two-part series to help you identify from Scripture what's going on in your life. Because if it's happening to us as a church, as Kingsway in leadership, more than likely it's happening to you. And the best time for spiritual warfare is December. Because our minds and our attitudes are everywhere else but in here. You follow me? When you misidentify spiritual attack, you go about life like that's normal. Oh, this thing, this affliction I'm dealing with, it's a new normal. I'll just deal with it. It's a lie. It's a lie from Satan. And I want to bring you to 1 Kings chapter 19. I don't know how far I'm going to get. This is not a normal sermon. The Lord gave me everything he wants me to say. He pointed me to research. He pointed me to uh, other pastors who have influenced me on this. And, and he, he gave me the entire message. I've written the whole thing out. I don't know where, where each week ends. I'm just going to preach until I'm out of time and then I'm going to end. So it's not where this got this distinct ending, if you will. But, but I want to tell you what has moved me to feel so passionate about this. It's not just in my life. It's not just in this leadership's lives. I'm looking over here because of my wife it, and Pastor Chris happens to be over there and Amber's over there. There's a lot of leaders over there. Um, uh, it's, not just, it's not just that. It's not just in our community. It's not just in our United States. I went and I said, let me just see what else is happening in 2019. Not in the world where I have to draw these crazy connections and convince you that it's a spiritual attack. I mean, let me look and find ironclad proof that a spiritual attack is happening here amongst the Christians 
right here in America where you and I live and breathe just this summer. So I went in, I did a little bit of research, and in about an hour's time, I was able to find three. I mean, it, it moves me to tears. Three very prominent, very dedicated, very committed Christian leaders, famous Christian leaders, who all fell away from the Lord this year, who all pulled themselves away from God and publicly announced that God's not real, Christianity's not real, the church is fake. Three. One is a nationally acclaimed author, which you've probably read his books. Another one is maybe the most famous Christian worship songwriter on the planet. And the third was a pastor of a mega church in California. If these men can fall away from the Lord in July, August, September of 2019, then that tells me something is afoot, church. And I don't want any part of that here at Kingsway Christian Center and part of what God is going to do with us. And it also gives me an opportunity. If the Lord can't complete what the Lord wanted to do in their lives, then somebody else has got to step up. Amen? Who's ready for a new mission? Well, you are. So Elijah, I have a couple minutes here, so I, I'm just, maybe I'll just get into the first one. Elijah has just, has just completed the biggest spiritual warfare of his life. He has experienced the biggest miracle of his life. He asked fire to come down from heaven on an altar. The pagans couldn't do it. He then dug a moat around his altar, put water all over it, doused it in more water, poured more water on it, asked God to burn it up, and then walked away, and God did. I don't know if there was any doubt in his mind that God was going to do it or not, but God did it. And then after that, after praying for years for rain, he walks out to a cliff, prays for rain seven times, and the rain ends up coming. He had just experienced the greatest miracle of his ministry. And right after that, Elijah 19 happens, and it says this. When Ahab got home, that's the person that Elijah sent back to Jezebel. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. Verse 2, so Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you have killed them. I may only get that far today. Have you have to read it again next week, Jared? I have read Elijah's story many times. I have read 18 and 19 many times, and I have preached out of 18 and 19 a few times from the pulpit. And never have I seen what I am now seeing in 18 and 19. By the way, it's why they call it the living word. There are eight, count them, say eight. Eight signs of spiritual warfare. Eight symptoms that you can know you are being attacked by the devil and need to attack back. And if it was so easy, everyone would be doing it. But Elijah himself misidentified most of the signs. 
But the God that we serve gave us chapter 19 so that we can read it plainly and go through it. Today, maybe I'll just share the first one with you. Is that okay? Verse 2, so Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the God strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. You know what that is? She wrote a message down and sent it to him. Anybody know today, legally, if somebody sent you that message, you know what you call that? Absolutely. It's the first sign of spiritual warfare. It's how almost all of them start. Hear me out. It's by a threat to you and a threat to your ministry. Every military action begins with a credible threat. There's a threat to us in our country. There's a threat to national security. There's a threat to safety. In most cases, we as Americans, we have to wait until the threat has already been carried out and there is damage done, and then we can react because of the whole diplomacy thing. But in many cases, the security of America wants to react on threats to prevent such things from happening. Threats are just that, though. They are threats. They are something that has not happened yet, but seems eminent in your life. Things that have not yet happened but seemed eminent, negative things are, in fact, threats. We can see them. We can hear them. We can visualize what's about to happen, almost living as if it's happening right now. Negative things. I'm sure you have experienced this, have you not? Have you not experienced a threat in your family? And maybe these are serious. Maybe these are with your job being threatened or your health, like Miss Debbie right now, something in her body, or your family, a relationship is being turned upside down. Or maybe it's with the government and some regulation or some policy or a visa or your finances. All of a sudden, a debt gets, becomes due or some type of tragedy occurs and, and you can't afford to recover. But again, none of it has happened yet. It's all about to happen. It's a threat. You feel as though it's coming on. You, like Miss Debbie right now, she's not even sure what's going on. Did she have a stroke? Did she have a heart attack? Did she, she doesn't even know. She's scared out of her mind. It is a threat of something happening. But not happened yet. Look, I'll tell this. How do you know when a threat to you is a threat from a spiritual sense? How do you know it's part of spiritual warfare? You know it because it has a direct impact on your faith. I get lots of threats all the time. I, I work in a job where it's very stressful and all sorts of things happen and, and a contract or a boss or a company or something could go one way very differently than it went yesterday and our whole situation has changed and people get all up and all of that. I'm not worried a bit about it. I'll get another job. Doesn't bother me. That's just me. That's just how I'm wired. That is not a spiritual threat. Satan cannot attack me at work. It doesn't work. But he can attack me every Sunday morning before I come up and preach to you guys. Oh, they're not going to want to hear this sermon. Oh, they're not going to understand it. Oh, it's not clever enough. Oh, it's not short enough. Oh, it's not visual enough. Oh, it's not easy enough, etc., etc., etc. Every Sunday. 
Or maybe the threat is just some bad news. You know how it is. Everything's going fine. Everything's going great. You get that letter in the mail. You're not sure who it came from. It looks really official. And you look on the back and you go, uh-oh, that's not like a, you know, spam mail. That's the real deal. Like that's something important. It's thick. You open it. You're like, oh, no, is it going to be bad news? And maybe you open it up. It's got red lighting on it, red, red letters on it like this. Ah, oh, this is, this is, I knew it was coming. Things are just too good for too long. Bad news. The threat is upon you. Church, this is all Satan has. He has no power. Do you understand? He has no power. Jezebel had no power to do anything to Elijah. She didn't even know where he was. And she said she's going to kill him tomorrow. Satan is full of threats and lies. He has no power. He has plans, he has agendas, and he has ideas. And all three of those things can get all up in your mind and mess with your business. And they don't mean jack. Except they mean a lot to us when we feel them and think them and feel them and think them and feel them and think them. And we create this threat in our mind that becomes more credible and more inevitable and more negative as time goes on. What's the worst possible thing that could happen to you? I thought about that as I was putting this together. And I was saying, well, some people are going to say, well, this threat, you know, it's pretty real and it's pretty bad, Pastor Sean, and this could happen and this is bad. I could lose my house or I could be in a wheelchair or I could, you know, these things are, you know, I have to really worry about them and plan for them or I got to do something. I don't know, what's the worst that could happen to you? That you get killed? That you die? Well, first of all, what? That's the worst thing that could happen to you? Like, you're planning on going to heaven one day. Like, honestly, I don't mind going. I mean, seriously, if that's the worst that can happen to me, Satan don't cut much on me, right? Maybe he can make me suffer. Okay, well, you know what the Bible says? If you suffer for Jesus, for Jesus Christ, you should go look at it. Church, church, what I'm trying to tell you is Satan always begins his spiritual attack with a threat, a credible threat, but a threat. And what I thought I would do as I go through these, because that's just the first one, is I would tell you how to protect against it. I'm not going to tell you how to fight the warfare yet. That's a little bit later. I'm just going to tell you to recognize that you're in it. And if you're in it and this is happening to you right now, I want to tell you to protect against it. It's very easy. It's very easy. Number one, you need to know your attack surface area. What does that mean? That's big words. Well, you go to anybody who knows anything about security or cybersecurity or military security, it's very simple. Know where your surface areas are for attack. I know where mine are. They're not at work. I let my guard down at work. I don't care. I do my job. I get out of there. I move on. My surface areas are at home. They're at church. They're on the internet. In these areas, I can get myself in a lot of trouble. And so I know before I get into any of those areas, I need to pray myself up and do exactly what the Bible says. Stay alert. That's all you have to do. Stay alert. You don't have to figure it out. You don't have to have the answers. You don't have to make plans. You don't have to solve it. You don't even have to pray a big prayer. You just need to stay alert and know that you could be attacked this way. Because when Satan knows that you're looking at him, he won't attack you. But if you turn your back for just a second, you'll get a message in the mail like this one that says, 
May the God strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you have killed them. Are you with me, church? The next one is isolation. But that'll be for next week. We at Kingsway hope you enjoyed this message from Pastor Sean. It was not by chance you listened to it. God is speaking to you. Visit kingswaycc.org to find the podcast from Pastor Sean. We pray today that this somehow inspired you to draw closer to God and to connect with His people, His purpose, and His power. God bless you.